Welcome to North Carolina, where you can simultaneously live in the past and live in the future. I'll explain what I mean in this episode of the NCNC Podcast with your host, Doc Carter. Knock, knock, knock. Here comes the Doc. It's the NCNC Podcast with your host, Doc Carter. Netflix is making movies, Disney owns Marvel, and Sony still has the rights to Spider-Man. Does it sort of feel like you're living in an interesting time where there's so many advancements of things that you never thought you'd see? I mean, who would have thought that we would have seen not just one Avengers movie, but a slate of superhero movies leading up to Avengers Endgame? Who would have thought that not only would we be talking about cell phones with all sorts of technology for recording, not only yourself, but other people around you, but we would actually be talking about facial recognition software. Who would have thought that we would be here? Of course, if you're in North Carolina, these things that are in the actual moment might still feel like they're in the future because in terms of teacher salary and teacher respect, it seems like we are still in 2010, where none of these things have happened yet, okay? At least um, not to the level that we see them now. So North Carolina has always been sort of an odd place. Um, Are we liberal? Are we conservative? Are we rural? Or is our true center in our cities? Is that where you find the true North Carolinian identity? Are we a state of native-born folks? Or have we been run over by carpetbaggers, as some folks might have said since Reconstruction? What are we? We seem to be an odd conglomeration. And folks have talked about there being two North Carolinas, and as I think I've said on the show before, that's not true. There, there are myriad North Carolinas, so it is hard to sort of pinpoint us. Are we a beach culture? Or are we a mountain culture? Are, uh, is our heart in Raleigh, or is it in Charlotte? Where is the true essence of North Carolina? Well, it seems like it's simultaneously in the past, and it's simultaneously in the future. And that's what I want to talk about in today's show. Two instances of where it seems like we are dealing with problems that arise from being in the past and problems that arise of actually being in the future or trying to be progressive. Uh, Of course, the first thing we need to talk about is uh, the budget. I don't know if you follow Christopher Nordstrom. He is a senior policy analyst at uh, North Carolina Justice's Ed Law Project, and um, he likes to tweet. I like to follow him, and he gives us some good stuff. Now, you may know that because our state legislator can't pass legislature can't pass a budget, that we're spending about fifty thousand dollars a day getting nothing from our leaders, whose sole purpose is to represent us. Right? Uh, we send them to Raleigh with hopes that they'll look after us, and, well, mostly the Republicans have decided that, well, we're not going to do anything. We're going to sort of stall. We're going to not find any sort of reason to compromise between what they want and what the governor says we need. Of course, the governor's budget, in terms of education, is much more friendly to teachers, uh, whereas the Republican budget, not so much, even though if you listen to Republican spin, they'll tell you that they are the pro-teacher force. That doesn't seem to be true when you look at the facts. Uh, Christopher Nordstrom said on August August 27th, that real per-student state funding in North Carolina is down 6.7% from pre-recession levels. You feel like you're stuck in 2010? But that understates the actual resource crunch since school cost factors, notably benefits, have risen much faster than inflation. 
and then he gives some of the real cuts facing our schools and he sent this out to the NCED hashtag so yeah if you still feel like you're stuck like your salary is not necessarily getting you as much as uh, it used to well that's because our state has abused austerity there was a time when we needed to cut back because um, the economies were bad everywhere across the country right not so much anymore not even in North Carolina uh, we continue to give huge tax breaks to the wealthy uh, and we have these huge surpluses <laughs> and the Republicans want to give it back to us like, hey we're gonna send you a refund check but instead of actually funding the social services that we need to be funded and certainly they're not going to fund them at the level that they need to be funded now in fact as Christopher Nordrum says Real per student state funding in North Carolina is down 6.7 from pre-recession levels. All right, so this is just a decade. So if you are a teacher and you're listening, you know that you are already being paid in the past. You are not being paid on a 2019-2020 pay scale right now. You're being paid on last year's because that was the last year we had a budget. And until a budget is passed or parts of a budget are passed, you're going to continue to be on whatever step you were last year. Okay, So by moving forward in your careers, you are actually stuck in the past. But let's see what uh, Nordstrom says compared to the fiscal year 2008-2009 Schools in fiscal year 19, 2019 and 2020 will be receiving 1% fewer teachers per student, 9% fewer instructional support personnel like counselors, social workers, psychologists, librarians, nurses uh, per student, 8% fewer principals and assistant principals per student, 36% less funding per student for teacher assistants, 57 less funding per students for textbooks. Of course, a lot of folks have turned that money into how they get uh, ed tech resources, for better or worse. 56% less funding per student for classroom supplies. So your teacher out there or you know a teacher out there who's asking for pencils, chalk, and uh, paper. Well, heck, they might be having to pay for that stuff on their own, particularly copy paper. That seems to be a big one. So help them out there. They're getting 56% less funding per student for classroom supplies than they did 10 years ago. 40% less funding per student for central offices, 17% less funding per student for non-instructional support personnel, custodians, clerics, substitutes, bus drivers. And while we've heard a lot about a teacher shortage that may or may not be true, many districts are still struggling, even now that school has started, to find bus drivers. In fact, in certain counties, uh, in fact, the county that I live in, Davidson County, seems to be making it a requisite that if you want to teach there, you need to also be willing to drive a bus, and you will not get hired for certain positions if you can't drive a bus or don't become able to drive a bus because it was actually written into the job description. Nordstrom says the complete elimination of funding for professional development and mentoring of beginning teachers is something that we may be dealing with as well. So if you're living and teaching in North Carolina or know someone who is, who is, if they feel like they are stuck in a strange time loop, well, that's because the state is still funding at austerity levels, or at least abusing the notion of austerity to give tax cuts to the wealthy and to major corporations while refusing to fund um, public schools and I'm sure other services as well at levels that would have been okay for 10 years ago. All right, so if you're a teacher in North Carolina, you're stuck in this strange time loop. Thanks to Christopher Nordstrom for revealing that for us. Uh, Let's talk a little bit more about this budget. So it's been about two months now since we have been waiting for Republicans to offer some sort 
of compromise that the governor could look over and they could come together and decide whether they wanted to pass that budget. They've not been able to. I said earlier that it's costing us tens of thousands of dollars a day for them to essentially not do their job. You just heard me talk about how things, uh, and how funding is far behind where it should be. Now what we're seeing is that Republican leadership has decided it wants to do sort of like little mini budgets. Like it doesn't want to pass a full budget, but it wants to give you sort of the mini muffin approach where it'll take little pieces of uh, the budget and say, okay, where you would like to pass this part. Okay, for example, on Friday, the governor said, okay, to giving pay raises for state employees, um, highway patrol and uh, law enforcement, but nothing for educators, okay? Uh, so <laughs> Republicans are trying to sort of wheedle any sort of significant pay raise that, the, that Governor Cooper may have put in his budget or that they may have even initially had in their budget down to the smallest possible pay raise that they can and certainly the smallest among all the other state employees. So when is all of this going to get resolved? Are Republicans actually going to do away with the mini-muffin approach and compromise? Well, the Magic 8 Ball says, outlook not so good. So here we are, stuck in a moment, even as we're trying to move forward. Teachers spending and trying to make a dollar go even further, not only just for their own families, but for their classrooms as well. Students who um, may need five, ten times more than what we could give them, even if we wanted to are getting less than they deserve, as are the educators who are trying to uh, do what they can with, uh, well, let's just put it this way. Uh, Republicans are dealing with um, 2019 money and making teachers live off of 2010 money, if that much. All right, from the recent past to the far past, I want to give a shout out to the New York Times for completing their 1619 project. This was a supplemental insert uh, in the New York Times from, I think, a week or two ago. Uh, the 1619 project gives many, many articles about being black in America, about the African American experience during slavery and make some pretty bold claims. Now I've read the 1619 Project. One can Google 1619 Project and eventually find a link where they can download the, um, the major magazine, the magazine insert, as well as find lesson plans and what have you. I think NCAE or NEA is working on um, getting teachers to reserve a print copy. If you're a member, I certainly um, I'm a member, you may have gotten an email like I did saying you can reserve a copy and they'll send it to you. So definitely the union is on board. And I'm not going to get into the reasons why they may be on board. And uh, we might talk about that as we move forward. But it is a very good publication that can enhance any classroom's discussion of um, socioeconomic disparities, of racism, of slavery. Uh, and so I want to give a shout out to the New York Times for putting that together. Uh, with the caveat that one of their major claims is ludicrous. So one of the major claims here, and I think they just did this for clickbait, just to get people riled up. Um, in, in, according to Twitter, for what I saw on Twitter, it worked for a little while. Uh, one of the claims of the project is that we should not see 1776 as the date that was the founding of America. 
Instead, we should see 1619 as the founding date of the United States of America because that is the day when um, the first sh uh, shipment, and I hate to use that sort of terms, but that's, that's what it was, shipment of uh, slaves, black slaves, landed uh, on the colony's coast there in Virginia and since America was built on slave labor, that should be where we say this is the beginning of the United States of America. Well, I mean, not to say that America wasn't built on slave labor because so many of our institutions, our early universities, our early hospitals, our housing, uh, certainly was built with the help, if not completely through, uh, slave labor. But we also had indentured servants, okay, who, uh, depending on who you read, well, may have had lives that were, were better or equivalent to that of slaves. I don't want to get into that. But what I do want to state is the fact that there was no United States of America in 1619. There was the loosest of a confederation of colonies, okay? We cannot make that the new date of the country. I mean, it does fit sort of this woke social justice narrative if wokeness and social justice only wants to address African-American history in the United States of America, okay? But um, there also were the native people who were here before uh, the Europeans got here and settled before the shipment of slaves and the many, many millions of slaves that would eventually be in the, what was the United States of America were about. Uh, certainly, many European nations, especially England, was using the United States and the colonies, or what would become the United States, the colonies, to sort of call themselves of their quote-unquote undesirables, the ethnicities that we might think of as white now, but they might not have thought of as white then, uh, poor people and those who might have had criminal records. Not all the criminals went to Australia, right? Uh, many folks whom the English did not want around found their way to the United States or what would become the United States of America, either by force or have the, uh, you know, or because it was what seemed to be the only way out. But once they got here, they were still considered English or French or the nationality from wherever they came. All right? The idea was that the colonies were going to be a money-making endeavor for these various empires. So to go so far as to say that the United States of America began in 1619 uh, when this ship of slaves showed up, I think is preposterous. I think it's sort of a clickbait claim. Uh, but that being said, I absolutely enjoyed and recommend and want to give kudos uh, regarding the 1619 project that I hope that you will do some Googling on and find that and maybe download it yourself. I enjoy the articles very much, but the New York Times is a media entity. They have created the 1619 Project document as yet another media text, and so we need to make sure that we are using our media literacy critical thinking skills to evaluate it uh, in the same way that we would any other type of media as well. One other shout out goes to yet another mediated presence, and that is the TV show Adam Ruins Everything. This is a TV show hosted by Adam Conover. It comes on True TV, and if you are an educator, there are certain episodes of this TV show that you just need to check out, whether you find it on Hulu or you buy it on Amazon Prime. I strongly suggest for anyone teaching high school that they look at Adam Ruins College because it's got some great tips on how to actually navigate college and uh, 
get through the experience without having to having to sell away uh, your firstborn uh, it talks about myths and realities of how people are successful and what have you um, this latest episode that I was able to see was called Adam ruins doing good and he talks about the new definition of philanthropy which is really sort of corporate or capitalist philanthropy um, even more so than what we might have seen in the Robert Barron days. Uh, the idea that people are using gift giving as a way to actually increase their own wealth as opposed to actually solving social issues. But the very first clip of the show talks about Teach for America. And I'm not going to say much about Teach for America because I know they have ears and eyes every single place that you might think that uh, they could be. Um, and I, I know that that's, I know how they operate. Let me just put it that way. Uh, having worked on TFA campuses or campuses where TFA had a presence. Uh, but I will say you should go watch this Adam Ruins Doing Good and see what he has to say about Teach for America and whether that, that program is beneficial as someone who's living in the state of North Carolina where our current superintendent may very well have been a Teach for America supporter or been supported by them and that might be actually how he got to where he is I think you will appreciate seeing what Adam has to say about TFA Teach for America or as I have called it and others have called it Teach for a while so two shout outs to the New York Times 1619 project go find that and also if you can find the Adam Ruins Everything episode Adam Ruins Doing Good all right, so we spent some time at the beginning of the show talking about a budget that was keeping us rooted in the past even as we wanted to move forward. Now let's talk about an instance where someone was trying to be progressive, trying to move forward, maybe trying to live in the moment of identity politics and wokeness for good or negative reasons, but they're dealing with some backlash. Kern Huey reports in the News and Observer on August 30th that uh, North Carolina schools are investigating a complaint over uh, students being asked their gender and sexuality. And sure enough, in Wake County, there has been a complaint made against a high school teacher for asking students to answer questions about their gender, sexuality, religion, and socioeconomic status. This was from an English teacher at Heritage High School in Wake Forest who asked sophomores to fill out a diversity inventory worksheet filled with personal questions about them and their family. Again, this is from Kern Huey uh, in his article. Now, what did this diversity inventory look like? All right, well, let me talk to you a little bit about it. Think of a grid, eight rows across the top, going left to right in a horizontal fashion. There are things that say, in my environment, on one side, the, my gender, race, ethnicity, age, sexuality, ability, religion, and socioeconomic status. And students are asked to fill in how they identify for each one of those. Along the um, first column, it says, I am, or my elementary school was predominantly. It says stuff like that, all right? Uh, and so students are being asked to fill that out. And um, as you might imagine, some parents have had some issues with that. So I, this is hard because I, I feel like this teacher was trying to be progressive, trying to 
gather information that he or she could use to help get the students to know each other, to see the diversity in the classroom, and also maybe to see what sort of gaps there might be in terms of expectations for each other socially, emotionally, and maybe even academically, all right? So I feel like this, this teacher uh, has probably done some reading, has probably read White Fragility, has probably done some in-service, uh, might have even gotten this idea from someone who works at the college level or from a college professor. You know, those people who go out and say to, to teachers, go out and do these progressive things, and then when you get in trouble, well, um, that's on you because, it's, it, you know, I'm going to continue to publish on this because it helps me in my job, uh, and if you get in trouble with your job, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but you should still go do these things, and if you get caught up in sort of the snags, well, that's on you because that happens, particularly it happens in the sort of wokeness that we see in uh, colleges of education and humanities programs in today's university. I even see it when certain, um, let's say, education conferences start to gear up and the Twitterverse starts to go crazy and says, hey, you should try this, you should try that. And I always sort of put in a tweet saying, hey, yeah, you should certainly try this, but think about what the consequences are going to be for you versus the consequences for the person who said that you should actually try this, okay? And that's not to say don't do it, just think about who's telling you where they are and how much accountability they're going to have for you doing the thing that they said that, that you should do, all right? And generally, uh, often, it, it's sort of like a Teflon professorship, the, they can leave you out in the lurch and not have to care at all uh, if something comes up because you did what they asked you to. Now... What do you think was the one that really set them off here? Do you think parents got upset about gender? Well, probably not. Most people still are accepting of the fact that there are primarily two genders, um, while also understanding that there are people who think that there is a plethora of genders. Um, I am still at the point where I feel like there are two genders, male, female, and intersex, which we might think of as the, the third category is simply the the appearance or the having both parts parts of both male and female gender i also believe that gender and sexuality are the same other people want to make the claim that they are different i believe that there are two genders all right uh that there are multiple sexualities and there are an infinity of gender and sexual expressions so that's how i sort of ride the current of being progressive and traditionalist in terms of my own thoughts about gender and sexuality but i also know that what i just told you is not going to be at all acceptable to folks that are far on the left my guess is though that gender was not an issue race ethnicity no people have gotten so used to having to fill that in i don't think that would have been an issue age well knowing the age range of students teachers should probably already know that but it's good to get specifics right ability that might get a little bit more dicey but but the teacher would have had to explain what she or he means by ability status right um, the socioeconomics I am actually a big proponent of talking overtly about socioeconomic status with students particularly at the high school level uh, in the same way that we're trying to talk about race overtly I think we need to talk about socioeconomic status overtly I don't think that work has been done if I ever get back to the university level I'm going to try to do that work um, and, and I hope that others will uh, join me in doing that work. I think the sexuality one is probably what triggered some parents to complain, okay? Now, are we supposed to assume straightness in our classes? Are we supposed to default to 
heterosexuality? I, I don't know. I, I, I hope not. Um, I, I do worry, though, that asking students how do they identify sexually um, causes them to sort of pick, and we do know that the sexuality may be fluid, particularly in young people who are trying to figure out who they are, what they preference, who they preference. Also, uh, I, I can see that it might make some people un uncomfortable to say, um, I am gay or bi uh, or trans. If you see trans as a sexuality, I'm, I'm not quite sure there. Forgive me for my ignorance. If they haven't quite figured it out themselves. I can also see where writing it down and it being an answer that the parents would not want to see or haven't accepted yet could be problematic. Uh, and as someone who has taught mostly in middle school and high school at the K-12 level, uh, my thought is uh, you just don't gather the sexuality data. Uh, if students want you to know their sexuality, they'll find a way to let you know. I can think about one time when I was teaching middle school in Davie County as the academic and intellectually uh, gifted coordinator there. And I went into, I was either 7th or 8th grade classroom, first time for the, that year, and I was introducing myself, sort of a push-in model here, so I was introducing myself, and one African-American student said, hi, my name is blank, and I'm a lesbian. And I don't know whether the student was truly a lesbian or not, but what I figured out was they were trying to get a rise out of me just to see how I would react. How would I react to this idea of her being uh, something other than the sort of uh, heterosexual default that was certainly the default there in that school anyway at that time. Uh, and I was like, hi, nice to meet you. Uh, I said, I think I said, my name is and I'm Baptist, just to sort of uh, push back the jokey nature on it. But I knew that she was just trying to get a rise out of me, see how I would react. But if students want you to know that they are gay or they are trans, they will let you know some way or another. So I'm assuming that maybe the sexuality one is what the category is really what sort of pushed here. I'm looking at the diversity inventory. It also says my elementary school was predominantly, and so you're supposed to apparently know the sexuality of your teachers, <laughs> which I think is another slippery slope. It says my teachers were mostly, all right, well, I guess male, female, assuming that you can assume the gender of people that you meet. I guess you could answer that question. Uh, race, ethnicity, I guess, you know, if there are teachers there that are passing or mixed, I don't, I don't know what t people are supposed to think about that. I don't know how they know the teacher's age beyond sort of older and younger. Um, their ability, I don't, oof, that one gets uh, pretty tricky pretty quickly too. And then how they were supposed to know whether their teachers were straight, gay, bi, or what have you. Uh, I don't know how they're supposed to answer that. But I do know that um, Kern Huey has reported that this was a problem. And Wake County is having to deal with it. Now, I want to think in my heart of hearts that the teacher was doing this with their heart in the right place, okay? And that this should just be, a, hey, are there other ways that we might deal with this? Are all of these columns necessary? All right, let's think about it, let's learn from it, uh, and then let's get back to work. Dealing with HR in K-12 districts, and particularly when HR and PR, that's human resources and public relations, move together, generally, if someone can get thrown under the bus, such that the uh, district itself or the district leaders look good uh, and they can sort of call the wheat and say we got rid of the problem, they can. Hopefully Wake County is uh, a little bit more accepting than that, but we'll just have to see. We do know that uh, one parent uh, did not like her 15-year-old son dealing with this lesson 
Uh, school officials say it's standard procedure to investigate complaints filed by parents. So, uh, so based on this, a formal complaint has been filed. Uh, let's see, the parent says that uh, she wants to make sure that this kind of privacy violation doesn't happen again. So she sees it as a violation of privacy. Now, my guess is the teacher has asked them to offer this information. Maybe they've also, she's all, he or she has also offered them the ability to um, opt out of answering anything. That would have been a good idea. Maybe that's how we resolve this, okay? But we just don't know that because we can't get the details. Uh, this parent says she had no right to do this, and we still don't know what happened to all those forms that the kids filled out. Well, they, yeah, they have probably been collected and preserved in case they are needed as evidence. My guess is the teacher was either told to hold on to them or told to hand them to someone. I know I've been in a situation in the very brief time that I was at Edgecombe County where someone said, you know, you shouldn't have been using this. You need to turn over those documents to me. And I can't remember whether I did or not. I know I, I, I think I said, okay, I think I've gotten a lesson. I don't see why you need those documents. And I think I may have thrown them in the trash instead. I don't know whether the teacher gave them up or not, but hey, if the teacher wanted to be a little bit of a, a rebel or wanted to stand up for themselves and say, I'm not giving you any more ammunition because I don't trust that you have my best interests in heart, I would completely understand that. And I, I also hope that this teacher is a member of NCAE, and um, even if not, I hope that someone who is NCAE is offering as much help as they can to this teacher. Um, this is the sort of thing that can get teachers fired. You know, and this is a teacher who has bought in to the idea that we need to be aware of diversity and we need to help foster students' awareness of diversity. Now, we don't know exactly why or what the motivation was here. This could have been one of those teachers who have bought into sort of the race baiting that we see, such that, oh, all of your teachers were white. Well, they couldn't have taught you anything, or they could have only had a limited view because they were all white, or they were all white male, or they were all white straight people. All right? That could have been the case, and that would be problematic. And, of course, in some woke districts, you could get away with that sort of thing. Uh, but we don't know if that's what it was, or if this was a true uh, attempt just to learn more about um, the, the different ways, the myriad ways, myriad's been our sort of um, word of the day in this episode, that students bring their prior knowledge about school and schooling into the classroom. Uh, I want to hope that it was an activity where the teacher really was trying to build that sort of thing, but we just don't know. Uh, so my final words here are what they were before. I hope that the teacher is a member of the union. I hope the union is helping her or that someone within the union is helping. I don't know the gender of this teacher, so I shouldn't say him or her. I, I hope that the teacher's heart was in the right place. I hope that Wake will not do an HRPR sort of distance itself from the teacher, but make this a learning experience and even praise the teacher if the teacher's heart was in the right place, but maybe give some direction on how he or she can get this information in, in a different format or at least get clarification that the students could opt out of answering these questions or some of these questions if they wanted to. But hey, here's an example of, just like in the first part of the episode, we were talking about how North Carolina is stuck in the past, all right, as we need to move into the future. Here is something of a, where we've got an instance of a teacher wanting to be progressive, wanting to move forward, but because of one thing or another, a parent complaint or maybe overstepping some bounds here, she finds or he finds that there are people sort of stuck in one particular mode even as this person is trying to be a progressive educator. So 
Back to the Future all over again in the great state of North Carolina. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll think about some of the things that we've chatted about um, and talk about them on Twitter, talk about them with your network, and maybe by the time we chat next time, we'll have a suitable solution to this situation in Raleigh. My hope is, and my heart is with the teacher, uh, I hope that he or she is able to remain employed in this school district and that White County takes care of him or her and with the same care that they will take care of the parent and the students. Uh, and hey, who knows, maybe we'll also have a budget. But like I said, the Magic 8 Ball is saying, not likely. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend. Knock, knock, knock. There goes the dock. Hey, is that a DeLorean? As always, thank you to Ben Sounds for our theme music. Happy Rock!